This is Victoria of TheUnleashedHeart.com, and you're listening to Grieving Voices, a podcast for hurting hearts who desire to be heard, or anyone who wants to learn how to better support loved ones experiencing loss. As a 30-plus year griever and advanced grief recovery method specialist, I know how badly the conversation around grief needs to change. Through this podcast, I aim to educate grievers and non-grievers alike, spread hope, and inspire compassion toward those hurting. Lastly, by providing my heart with ears and this platform, grievers have the opportunity to share their wisdom and stories of loss and resiliency. How about we talk about grief like we talk about the weather? Let's get started. Welcome to Grieving Voices. Today I am introducing Lindsay Joy Taylor on the podcast, and she is the grief advocate and owner of the Joyful Jewelry Box. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Victoria. I appreciate it. I have been following Lindsay for a while on Instagram and uh, in the grief community, and um, I've just really enjoyed kind of getting to know you from afar uh, through your Instagram. And I think it's just a really, the grief community, would you agree, is it's, it's a different, it's a different environment. It's so supportive Very. and you agree? I definitely agree. And what's been really incredible is that, and you'll probably hear throughout my interview, but I didn't necessarily start my work in the grief space, but now I'm going on six and a half years and, And um, in the beginning, it was sparse, you know, certainly, I think, social media and online sharing has grown a lot in the last few years, but it was really sparse in the beginning. And now it's been incredible to see all of the grief accounts and advocacy and experts that have come out of this. It's just, um, I don't know that I expected that or that I anticipated that. And I really, you hit it on the head in the sense that it's automatically a different community. It's automatically sort of this like, deep sensitivity and connection and um, you know I'm not somebody who loves small talk so much and it's really kind of neat to just jump right in and we can just go to those places that really you know speak to our lives so um, I definitely agree it's it's different than the online world in general but it's also different than even what it was for me in the beginning you know so that's been really neat to see. I agree and a lot of the deep conversations that I've had throughout my life have been with people who have gone through deeply troublesome, challenging times. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think COVID too actually has helped to highlight grief overall and really bring the conversation to the forefront. And so thank you for your advocacy and for what you do. Yeah, and actually, let's start there. How did the jewel, the Joyful Jewelry Box come about? You know, it's really kind of a special story to me because it sort of unfolded very organically, and yet when I tell the story and look back on it, it just sort of feels like <laughs> this was the way the whole time. So, um, you know, my relationship to grief is um, very intimate and lifelong. My mother was murdered when I was an infant, and so... I've grown up really having a deep understanding of grief and then also feeling very outside of it, really not understanding all the ways that it's impacted my life because it's, it's quite literally infused with my life. Um, and so I think that contributed a lot to, to me and my temperament and who I am and what I believe in general. So I had always wanted to be in the helping services in some way, shape or form. It's kind of funny. 
when I was a teenager, I used to joke that I wanted to be the next Dr. Laura. Um, she w- I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she was a big time radio host at the time and um, really popular and then really controversial. And I liked that idea of having these hard, honest conversations. Not so much that she told everybody how to, how to live their life or <laughs> what to do with their problems, but I really appreciated that, that dialogue um, for people to be honest, right? And so um, in some way, shape, or form, I always knew that I wanted to work with people to help them in some way, shape, or form, but I don't know that I knew what that would look like. So I went to school for communications and psychology, and the short version is I ended up working in mental health right after school, and I, I loved it. I did a lot of um, internal services that helped provide um, support to the direct services department, and it just was, it was a built upon my strengths, but also really could see how it was giving back to the mental health community and really not only helping me, but helping others. And unfortunately, um, the funding for that position went away. And so I was laid off. And that was very much sort of what we're seeing happening now. There's just not enough services out there and for funding for the services. And you have very dedicated people who want to be able to provide this work and help these people. And it's not always available to do so. So I've sort of forced into a season of how do I get creative? How do I be flexible and support my family? My husband and I had just bought our first home and we had just moved and the dog had had surgery. And so it was kind of this, how do I pivot for this season? And I had always had a hobby of making jewelry and I'd reconnected with another local jewelry designer. And the short version is I opened an Etsy shop. But in the beginning, it wasn't necessarily grief related. It certainly wasn't memorial or remembrance designs. It was more of, like I said, just how do I navigate this time right now? And once I kind of got my footing back underneath me, I realized I wanted to give back again. I really, that that meaningful piece of just working with others and and really that humanitarian side of life, you know, is is what gives me um, a lot of joy and fulfillment. And so thought, how do I bridge all of these pieces together? And it kind of went back to my shop name in the beginning in the sense that the Joyful Jewelry Box is based upon my middle name. Um, before, I, <clears throat> before my mom died, obviously, <laughs> she, it was important to her that that be my middle name to sort of represent the hard season that my family was going through at the time and then also the deep joy that they felt when I was born. And so just not knowing her and not having a relationship with her, it's always been important to me to pay homage to her in ways that I could. And so that was where the name came from. And I kind of went back to that route in terms of how do I take this meaningful piece of, of her life and everything I just told you and, and make it work. And I realized that jewelry was a significant piece of my grieving process for my mom. So growing up without her, I used to play with her jewelry box all the time. I would sift through it like it was a treasure box and just take all my favorite pieces and hide them here and there. And I realized it was a big comfort to me throughout my whole grief journey, but I didn't even necessarily realize it, right? And so it was so neat to sort of be here and be like, it, it just felt very full circle in the way of how do I take all of these pieces and then now help other people infuse joy back into their life? How do I help them honor the loved ones that they miss so much? How do I help them keep their life and their memories alive? So it was one of those things that sort of unfolded over, you know, the last five years or so. I don't really know. I don't really know how else it would have ended up. You know, it's so funny because I didn't recognize how it was happening at the time. Um, And I think, you know, I think grief can be like that in a lot of ways too. In the beginning, it's, it's just sort of this 
horrific, all-consuming pain. Um, you really can't imagine anything outside of it. You can't imagine any joy. You can't imagine bringing meaning to the deepest pain you've ever felt. Um, and so it sort of feels like like a, a literal metaphor in terms of what the grief journey can be for a lot of us. You go through the different phases of life and your grief changes and with those phases too, I think too, right? Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, well, you start having kids too. and yeah. Well, and I think too, kind of going back to what I said before, you know, like my, my middle name, for example, it feels like a big part of my grieving process now. Um, and it was something that I actually really resented for a long time. I didn't feel like I was a joyful person. I didn't feel like I wanted to look on the bright side of things. I didn't feel like this was my mission to carry out, so to speak, you know. Um, I didn't know that it was when season of life started to reveal itself to me so much. And yet here I am now still with all the pain and all the, the loneliness and growth and just all the things that happen over the years. But there's this really fulfilling component of having that connection with this community of having this touchstone of I built a really beautiful place that didn't exist when I needed it. Um, and that just, yeah, I don't know, sort of hard to put into words and alchemical process there, so to speak, you know, it's a purpose. Yeah. It's a purpose for the pain. And I can relate to that. I think we often, and when we are deep in it, you can't see the other side. You can't see what's possible. Yeah. You can't see possibility. You don't, yeah. you don't look for the open doors. You don't, really see your own potential mm-hmm. either. I think that kind of gets hidden mass. Or do we even want it? You know, right. I mean, I don't want to speak for all grievers. Certainly we all have our own process, but in the work that I've done and with a lot of the grievers that I've worked with, that desire goes away for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it takes a while for kind of all the pieces that I talked about. I mean, you know, and that's kind of the biggest piece of my story really is that, you know, I'm a 37 year old woman. And I, my mom's been dead for 36 years and I still think of her every day. I still struggle every single day and wonder what life would be like with her, what life would be like to have a relationship with her. Um, You know, and so that's the biggest piece sort of to me in terms of this idea that it's just always going to be there in some way, shape or form and it will change shape, right? It will have different seasons, but this idea that you just get over it or when does it get better, you know, it's just that hasn't been my experience. And so that's been the biggest testament for me is really trying to use my perspective of, um, of time, but also, you know, the unique lack of relationship there to sort of articulate that that doesn't necessarily matter. Now it was your mom. Did you have then someone that kind of stepped in and took that role for you? And was that support for you as a child? Definitely my sister. Um, so shortly after my father did remarry, um, and that wasn't necessarily a positive relationship, although I had to be pretty reliant on her. She was around from like uh, two to four, three to five, logistically speaking, right? I had to rely on her in some ways, but I have, um, I don't have a lot of memories of her, and the ones that I do are really actually pretty traumatic. After she left the picture of my sister, so I'm the youngest of three. My brother was nine, my sister was seven, and I was one. So at that point, you know, a few years had passed, my sister was about nine and she really stepped in and became that integral um, maternal role for me. Um, Certainly my father kept us all together and was the head of the family, but he owned his own business and was traumatized, quite honestly, and and wasn't, you know, 
wasn't the primary caretaker. So there was a long, long, long time of just a lot of renegotiating those types of roles. And um, I don't really know where I would be without my sister. You know, it's pretty interesting. We're, we're very close and we're very independent. And so I don't want to say that she became my mother, but she became a model for, for me in a lot of those ways. But she also taught me how to take care of myself, too, I think. You know, um, I think that that was a big delineation from what I see in a lot of other or hear about in other dynamics. Um, there was never an expectation from my father that now it's your job to take care of your sister. She just was so selfless in that way to do that for me. So, but I, I find it unique. I'm sort of being wordy in the way that, yes, she did step in for me, but I think she stepped in in, in ways and showed me how that we could take care of ourselves, too as opposed to here now I'm your mom. Does that make sense? Well, that was my experience too. Just, I was the youngest. I was eight when my dad passed away. And, you know, within a couple of years, my mom remarried too. And actually my sister left and my brother was, you know, like 13, 14. And so he was kind of doing his own thing. And so I kind of raised myself. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that for a lot of child grievers, we do learn resiliency in that way and how to be resourceful and how to take mm -hmm. care of ourselves. I think we're yeah. kind of just, that's a lifestyle we don't choose, but for me, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change. Of course, I would absolutely love to know what it would have yeah. been like to grow up with my father, but you know, it shapes us. Mm -hmm. It shapes who we are and how we are as parents then as adults too. It's, you know, sure. um, do you feel like, I'm just curious, do you gravitate towards that, what you learn from that experience? Like for me personally, like I want my kids to be independent. I want them to learn how to take care of themselves too, mm -hmm. because we don't know what the future holds. And I've found that for myself. Did you feel that? Have you found that too as a parent? I'm actually not a parent. Oh, I'm sorry. Kids. No, it's okay. Oh, no problem. I'm sorry. No, no problem. Um, no, I know when I say family, technically that's my husband and my dog. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, that's okay. It is a family. It is a family. But I do also understand it creates a different context. And I'm always like, how can I communicate that without saying my husband and my dog? <laughs> um, but, you know, I've been very involved in not helping to raise my nieces and nephews by any means. I've certainly witnessed that journey with my sister very, very, very much. Right. And I think you're right in terms of there's but wanting them to be able to take care of themselves the way that you were able to, to be able to let go of, for lack of a better term, to not have the fear that they wouldn't be okay if something would happen. Right. And then I think there's also, and I can't speak for you, I can only speak to what I've witnessed, but I think there's also this line of also, oh my gosh, I want to protect you with every part of my being because I know what those things felt like. Or um, I know what those things felt like for me, right? Like, again, we can't always know for everybody. We're very different. But you can relate to the depth of pain that that took place in your life. And and I imagine, and I hear that it's always really very a fine line in terms of how do I honor these really deep, critical, resilient pieces of myself without willingly giving my child a basket of hell, you know? Um, I, that's not really, um, I envy <laughs> I don't mean that, you know, derogatorily. I think that when I look at my journey, I understand why anything can happen. My husband and I don't plan to have kids, but we also very are 
open to if the world decides we're having children, we are a strong couple, we would be great parents, we will make it work, you know. Um, but I'm still working out a lot of the stuff in my life. I don't think it would prevent me from being a good parent, but they're not struggles I want to have while I'm being a parent. You know, the amount of times I've heard in my life that I should have children to go heal the grief of not having a relationship with my mom is no way. laughable. It's laughable, really. And um, very much like I appreciate that that experience is actually very true for a lot of people. Let me put it that way. That, that is very true for a lot of people, but I don't believe that that needs to be the goal. That's not going to be my goal to have children, right? My child, their only burden in life is to be children, right? Not to be my savior, not to be my hero, not to be my healing tool. Um, and so for me personally, it's just something that, I, that I've taken a lot of time to really dissect and it's just the decision I want to be 110% sure about. And I have never gotten there yet. Um, and I think because of everything I just told you, you know, that, that I recognize that deep pain and that doesn't mean that I can't overcome it um, and do both. It's that I, I want to want to do both. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> well, I didn't expect the conversation to go this way. And I'm excited. I'm actually, I'm, no, I'm glad because I think it is a very good point. I made this assumption that you had children just because to me, like you come off as a very nurturing, you know what I mean? I just, I get that vibe from you. And so, you. you know, slap me on the hand for making no, an assumption. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Um, <laughs> but, but I think it's a, a wonderful point though, that it's like, I think we often, like there's so many people that maybe out there who've maybe had children to fill a gap, to fill a void of something within them. And for me, I didn't exactly plan to have children either. It just happened for me. And, um, but they are like a mirror. They really do hold a mirror to everything that we've experienced. And they'll bring up everything that you need to heal in yourself, right? Not that they need to heal you, but show you what you need to heal. And um, entrepreneurship is like that too, though. It's, you know, like, you know, building your business, your Etsy store, I'm sure that brought up different, it's like a baby, you know, when you have a business, it's like a baby and brings up a lot of, uh, you know, you can have self-worth issues that come up. You can have um, just so many things. Would you agree? Yes. And uh, well, so there's a few things. I just want to say, don't worry about it at all. I think that um, that's actually not something that I communicate very clearly to my community um, or not clearly. Let me put it this way. I wondered, I wonder if that's a dialogue I should have. And, you know, I've often erred on, you know, I have a lot of lost mothers in my community and, and I just don't ever, it's just not the focus of my work per se. See how there's places where I'm minimizing my story for the sake of other people right um and so ultimately i just don't want you to worry about it <laughs> but i also want to say too that like nothing in what i said was intended to be a criticism of individuals who maybe that that was their goal right i just know that that's not right for me personally and that's another sort of big piece of my testimony in terms of like honor what you know to be true for your grieving process, right? Yeah, there are the most well-intentioned people who are speaking from the depths of their experience of pain. And so I just really wanted to clarify that I didn't mean that as a judgment and certainly um, 
and certainly don't want to articulate that that's a negative situation. I just know for me and who I know of what I am, that's not the best way to start a family. Um, back on that about the entrepreneurship piece, you, it's absolutely true, which is funny because I would never have envisioned myself to be an entrepreneur, but even more so, and you can probably relate to this maybe, but having that, um, that deep emotional connection, right, to our legacy or to our grief, like takes it to a whole other level. And was it last week? I can't even keep track. Within the last couple of weeks, you know, Instagram has shut down my account and thankfully it got restored and everything's okay. But in the beginning, it was very much like, okay, so it's an Instagram account, big deal, social media. And yet on the other hand, this is like the legacy of my mom. <laughs> this is the legacy of the journey that I've created. This is tools and resources and community and support for all of these hurting hearts. And it just was devastating. <laughs> Not another word to encapsulate, you know, how I felt that day. It was really just like, it just pierces you in a place you didn't think that it would because again, business is business and, and certainly it's important important, and it's part of our livelihoods and all of those things. But I think we're also in a time of life where, you know, that hustle culture and trying to really compartmentalize the roles that it should have in our life. And so it was interesting to sort of have that just kind of drop in my lap and sort of figure out like, okay, okay. <laughs> What do I need to learn what is, here? What do I need to learn? What does this mean for me? What does this mean about my grief? What does this mean about, you know, all of those things and nothing really changed. It just was really this, um, it, it's almost like it becomes this sort of tangible, at least for me in this particular instance, this tangible um, source of grief support for lack of a better term or something. And um, anyway, yes, it's very, very, very deep and layered and, you invest so many parts of yourself as an entrepreneur in and of itself. But I think we have a unique added emotional quality there. <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. So growing up, I'm curious too, if, you know, you, you had mentioned that your sister kind of stepped in and your dad was in the picture, but he had a business and, you know, we, you know, with having a business, it takes a lot of your time. Um, did you receive any, counseling or anything as you got older or you know what have you tried in the past or what has worked for you I think that's like three or four questions I'm sorry (laughs) it's all the same um so growing up the the short answer is not really my understanding is right after my mom's homicide my family had done some trauma therapy sessions I mean a handful I gather again I was an infant so I can't really articulate that the impact that that had. And I don't even, although I'd like to, right. I'm sure that, you know, it still impacted me in the ways of how my family moved forward and some things, but I don't have a lot of information about that. And then it was interesting when I was in the elementary school and I still don't have a lot of information about this either, but I wound up on somebody's radar um, and I would get pulled out of classes to go do play therapy. Um, I had good grades. I was well-behaved. So it wasn't like a, um, at least from my understanding that I was, that I was struggling. It was honestly, it feels like a blessing. Um, they're vague memories, but they're positive memories of being just in this tiny room with this play therapist. And there were sometimes a couple of other kids and I don't know, it just sort of laid the groundwork a little bit in terms of all of this. I think my understanding that there were layers to things or ways to be emotional without, um, 
I think it gave me a different understanding of how you could learn about yourself emotionally speaking, right? I think, you know, back in the, the 80s and 90s, it was always just very scary and this idea that it would be all consuming and you just kind of don't go there. And so it, it, I don't know, it was a good model for me. And so then fast forward, when I was in college, I decided to start going to the call the counseling center on campus. <clears throat> like I said, my sister was such a good model for me in that way. And um, that was something she had done when she was in college and it was a positive experience for her. And so it, I just followed in her footsteps. And that was actually a pivotal experience, but it was really negative, unfortunately. What I know now, of course, after being part of the mental health care system and after earning my degree and whatnot, it was a short-term counseling model. And I understand the limitations of that now. But ultimately, you know, I'm 20 years old. If I had other 20 years old, I walk in there, I sort of explain the very loose situation of you know, my family history and the reason that I felt like it was time was my, I just sort of felt like grief was seeping out of me, right? Like none of my emotional responses, I couldn't regulate myself, nothing matched up with what was really happening. And so that was sort of the catalyst. And so as I explained all of this to her, she was not nice, not even warm or comforting. I don't even, she was just very matter of fact, basically said, you're dealing with a lot of trauma. We can't help you with the amount of time that we have here. So here's a list and good luck. And I was very much like, if I had the resources to start in all these other places, maybe I would have, right? And I understand now again, but she didn't even finish the session with me. It's like, okay, well, let's create some support in the 60 minutes that we have. Well, can we call some of these people to keep some of these people together? Or what do we do with if these resources don't work out for you? Or even are you are you suicidal? You know what I mean? Like we didn't go over any of that. So that was heartbreaking for me. I walked out feeling really kind of broken, right? I'd spent my whole life like running and achieving and kind of proving that I was this accomplished, capable, resilient person. And then somebody basically said, nope, not really. And so that put me off for a couple of years. And just by the grace of God, everything was okay. You know, there's so many people that that's not necessarily the case. And I got another referral through a coworker and I think I just had explained everything that I just told you. And it just felt like a trusted situation to finally try again. And that actually was a really positive experience. So I went to that therapist for probably three years. Um, and we did a lot of relational and imago work. Um, really this idea that, right, that our, our romantic partners, we choose them to help them heal these unhealed parts of our childhood self. And um, that was actually really beneficial, but I don't know that that was the right place to start is my point in saying all of that. Because if you're dealing with trauma, you, <laughs> you don't even feel safe in your relationship. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. So, but I didn't know that. The reason I'm articulating all of this is how much I sort of thought I knew in terms of what the resources are or the avenues to take, or you just go see a therapist, right? And certainly, certainly things have changed a lot in the last 10 or 15 years. Um, tremendously speaking in regards to trauma and whatnot, but she was a safe place, but I still don't know that that's where my healing began, if you will. And then fast forward a few more years, and I started working with a trauma-informed therapist about six years ago, and um, I still have lots of challenges that I work on every day, but it's been pretty incredible to sort of um, just understand everything that I was dealing with now from a different perspective. I think that I always knew that it was tragic the way that my mom died and when she died, but I don't think that I realized how traumatized I was. I don't think I realized these really clear ways in which the aftermath really created even more challenges 
even more challenges than already growing up without, you know, my primary caretaker. But more than anything, you know, because again, you can go on and on about all the tips and tricks and this and that, and it won't always apply to everybody. But the the biggest thing for me that really applied in, in kind of walking through this journey was really looking at everything that I learned or that I was told or that I intuited from the world growing up about grief and loss. And, and I really just decided to say, none of this, that doesn't apply to me. I kept trying to force myself into these boxes, into these stages, into these understandings of, of what things should be like or look like or feel like. And it just was a bunch of junk, right? And so that was the biggest tool that it gave me was to help me to, under, to trust myself, to trust my own feelings and my own opinions about things and to know that I could honor my grief on my own whether or not people agree with it or depending no matter what they think about it or or whatnot and so that's been the biggest I think role that it has supported for me is constantly providing that mirror of everything I just said you know that we can choose our own way and um, doing that has been I don't want to say it's been the most healing you know I don't I have an interesting perspective about healing, and I know that my situation is particularly complex, but but it gave me the freedom to sort of understand how I could get there, (laughs) if that makes sense. Yeah, and you know, we're all wired differently, too, and we're going to take in information differently and process it differently, and and at some points and some stages and phases, we'll be ready for it, and at other times, we won't, and I think we also, too, tend to we question ourselves a lot when we feel like we're kind of crazy. You know, I felt crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, And you really can't. How do you tap into your intuition? How do you tap into your heart when you're stuck in your head? Mm -hmm. And, you know, in grief recovery, we say too, you can't heal the heart with the head. Mm -hmm. And um, the only way is to get connected within and um, to know really to be led to what you need and, and follow through on that. And like you said, create your own path and it's going to look like a roller coaster. It might look like a, you know, it's not going to look the same for everybody. No, We don't come well, to I, that place the same way. No. And I like what you said about that body connection, right? For me, that was, that's been a huge piece, but I don't know that I believe that we can heal without the body, right? Like if you think about your emotions and your feelings, you experience them physically, right? This mind body connection is so interwoven and so intertwined. And yet for me personally, because my mom died during such a crucial developmental um, stage for me, and like literally you cannot survive without other humans, you know what I mean? in a lot of ways, I think that I intuited the level of support that was available. And I don't think that there was very much, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, and so I didn't act out, I just shut down. You know, I've asked that I have sleep problems, Did I cry, did I stop eating, did I anything, right? And everybody's um, memory is very vague, because again, time and just grief and trauma and all those things. But um, I think that I really cut myself off from that piece of knowing that intuitive sort of um, way to connect with that deep, <laughs> that deep anguish, right? And it feels, it sounds terrific. Like who wants to go connect with that? Who wants to take the time to create the space to feel that in your body, right? But otherwise it just lives there, you know? And so that's mm-hmm. been a big piece of being trauma-informed when I say trauma-informed therapist. Certainly it's not only that she has an understanding of, you know, what trauma is and how it. Um, plays out in our lives and all of those things, but also really how the way to heal trauma is through the body. You can't do it without it, right? And so she's really created that safe space for me to be able to feel those 
horrible sensations that I had to feel alone as a baby to really give space to that pre-verbal experience, right? And I don't, this is sort of an interesting thing to say because not everybody deals with their grief by talking about it. I think I deal with life by talking about everything sort of as a result. Ultimately, I, I wasn't even talking at the time. I literally did not have the capacity to communicate what was going on. Right. And so it just, I appreciate you really making that point about the body because it's so easy to think that it's such a mental process, right? It's just an emotional process that's in our head. We're crazy. We're weak. We're stuck. We're insert whatever the world has told us. It's a crucial piece that I don't think very many of us realize. And, and in a way that as much as I, sort of, even as I'm talking to you, I'm like, and I don't even know if I am either. <laughs> Right. You know, I talk about trauma and I talk about the body based work that I do, but I don't know that I've ever articulated or or recognized just how interwoven the grieving process is with the body, you know, and how often we're trying to shortchange that. And I think, too, if you've had a traumatic experience with your body, like I have, I disassociated myself from my body as well. And I didn't care about my body. I didn't take care of my body. I didn't realize the body, mind-body connection until I actually went through grief recovery. And I say this on every episode because I'm so passionate about it, but I I did not make that connection to Mm -hmm. the mind and body until I did the heart work, until I really allowed myself to go there. And it was life-changing for me. I firmly believe you cannot heal the heart with the head. It's, you know, we're just stuck up there sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, You know, I heard another quote the other day that reminds me of that a little bit, something about can't feel when you're talking or something like that. And I was mm -hmm. like, that makes a lot, right? You know, sort of referencing what mm -hmm. I said, like I talk a million miles a minute and I (laughs) feels right in line with that, you know? And two, I think you made a really good point in the sense of like, there's this idea that like, you won't be able to come back from it. Right. Whereas Mm -hmm. the idea is that you're creating this trusting relationship where your body shows, but I can hold this, but we are strong enough to do this. Right. (laughs) But you're over there in the corner saying, but I can do it with only three legs when the fourth leg is over here. Right. I appreciate you making that point. And, um, and I know that we're still, we're still unraveling of what we know and research and all of that, but Mm-hmm. I think that that's a crucial piece in terms of sort of the next piece of bridging those gaps too, because I think too, not to take over this, the whole different conversation really, but you know, I read a book recently called before and after loss by uh, Lisa Shulman. And it was basically like what happens to your brain in grief. Mm-hmm. Right. And I really appreciated the the context in there in terms of like, she was talking about the overlap of grief and trauma, right? Not all grief is traumatic and not all trauma is grief. But ultimately, like when you really put them side by side, the, <laughs> the, uh, the number of people that are in both pools, right? And we're constantly separating them. Um, and so I just think that that's a big piece in terms of moving forward that can articulate a lot of things that maybe we weren't looking at. Sort of what you were saying, you didn't understand the mind-body connection or you didn't quite understand that, trauma, that trauma, blah, 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 traumatic piece, right? And so... I just think that we have a lot of ability to change the landscape of it a little bit by joining them together. Yes. Yeah, I would agree. Pointing out how common, there we go. That's what I was trying to say. What is one thing that you would like to get across today about your grief? I, one big piece, I already said, you know, certainly that, that it's lifelong, 
right? This idea that, um, that I could be a 37-year-old woman still grieving for somebody that I don't know. I think it speaks volumes, right? And again, I think that on one level, people look at it and say, well, of course, you lost your mom. It was so tragic. It was so traumatic. And yet, I think that's enough examples out there in the world where people don't really take that to heart. Not for me personally, but for individuals like us. See that playing out right now. It's turning on the news, you know? So really just trying to articulate, right? There really is no timeline. There is no time frame. There are no five stages. None of that. Thank you. Um, Amen. For me, yeah. You know, for me personally, that if you happen to be someone and your experience has been that way, praise the Lord. I'm so glad for you because it's just a really confusing extra added layer of anger and just frustration because you feel so alone and so misunderstood and all the things that are out there or most of them up until this point really just were very unrealistic, you know, but the other piece of that is an undertone of that but as much as I work with adults I don't work with children I don't feel that that's necessarily my strength and yet my experience I feel like it's it's crucial for me to articulate that what children don't know or don't remember hurts them (laughs) it can still impact them let me use that word instead right but this idea that um that I was so strong and that I got such good grades and just insert all the junk that you know people think is a replacement for a parent. And I bought into that. That was an identity that, you know, really carried me through. And on one hand, I'm grateful, you know, I needed something to carry me through. And yet then I grew up and I was like, well, shit, nobody has even any clue that I'm struggling so much. And I don't even understand why I'm struggling so much because I've never talked about it. Right? Yes, of course, it was tragic, but I don't know anything different. Right? And so it was this constant rationalization of my experience against the world. And so it's important to me to say, just, you know, don't assume that your child is going to be traumatized because they go through hard things. Absolutely not. Children are so strong and so resilient, but we need to provide the tools and the environment and the resources for them to be able to communicate um, or to feel safe, to be honest if we ask what they're struggling with, you know, and to not minimize that and to not give them some childlike answer and (laughs) ignore it until it comes up again. You know, that's a big piece for me in terms of really just understanding that grief impacts children too. And it's not the same as adults. And I can't even necessarily articulate how it will impact your child. But I just want people to be aware of the fact that providing that support is one of the most crucial parts of helping them heal. (laughs) And what I've learned too, like even through grief recovery, we have the program helping children with loss program, which is far none. Like going through the program has made me a better parent just to, because if I can't tell the emotional truth about myself, how can I expect my child to come to me? Exactly. Tell the emotional truth about themselves. And so it really is just to have this dialogue and conversation. You know, it's like some, I've seen arguments of people online where someone takes their child to a funeral and people are just outraged. Like, why would you do that? Why would you let them see the, the body? And like, well, because just because you're uncomfortable with having that conversation, you know, and I saw my dad in his casket, no one talked to me about it. There was no conversation. Like to piggyback on what you'd said, just because children, like, Children bounce back. I hear that all the time. Oh, they'll bounce, they'll bounce back. Mm-hmm. Those children grow up to be adults. That is never addressed. It will rear its ugly head. Absolutely. In some way, some form, Absolutely. somehow. 
you know, and certainly, and I've seen that in my work, you know, in the ways that, uh, you know, my family is, we all grieve very differently. I would say I'm definitely one who grieves the most out loud, but they are tolerant of it and they're accepting of it and they don't tell me to do anything different with it. And I really appreciate and respect that because they didn't sign up to have, you know, their their deepest pain to be so public. But it's been really incredible to see sort of the um, the ways that it's impacted my family that I didn't even necessarily expect. Some of the conversations that I've had with my dad, I can just recognize that I'm helping them process this too, right? That doesn't mean I'm so far along, hey, I'm right here with you, right? But it's been really interesting and helpful to be able to see that piece come back instead of feeling like, oh, am I crossing the boundaries? I don't want to violate anybody, you know, and, and I honor that. But I also need to honor my own experience and I'm tired of living the secret, you know? And so it's really trying to honor both of those. But um, to see the ways that my being public about it or um, outspoken about it has helped them see things in a different way. Or even if it hasn't, it's helped me understand them on a deeper level than an unexpected blessing, I guess. And that brings up a good point, too, in that we're, I think oftentimes we tend to sweep the hard stuff under the rug. And especially where I live, the German heritage, you know, people come and set, the people that came and settled here, it was dead of winter. It's harsh. It's, I mean, that's a, that's a special breed of people. <laughs> you know, they're For pretty... Real. <laughs> Yeah, like, For real. <laughs> you're pretty hard and determined. And, you know, and so it's, it is this German, tough exterior culture. And we don't talk about it. We don't need that. We're fine. It's really difficult for people who grow up like that to ask for help, to seek out support, to look for community of like-minded or people that are a little, maybe a little further than they are for guidance or support. Yeah, I just wanted to highlight that point that you had brought up that support's huge. And, you know, that it can go both ways, I think. It's sort of an interesting concept, right? Because, and I can't speak for you, but like as the children, (laughs) right? As the children who are looking to everybody else. Well, we resort to what we know and we look to the adults to emulate. Well, okay, well, that's how we deal with grief. Okay, I guess I'm not going to talk about it either. Mm -hmm. You know, I guess I'm fine. Several myths of grief that we talk about in grief recovery, and one of them is, you know, grieve alone. That's what I did, you know, stuff, stuff, stuff. And then there are some kids too, like we were talking about the differences. Some kids will lash out. Some kids will exhibit different behaviors depending on what's been emulated for them, you know. Is there anything else you'd like to share? More than anything, I just want to let people know that for me in my community, what I believe is that you have the right to grieve in your own way, right? There is no right or wrong way to grieve. There's no timeline to it. What happened wasn't your fault. The biggest process or the biggest change for me in my process was giving myself that permission to change what I think, right? And so I really just encourage your audience to really think about when it comes to their primary struggles, right? If there's these little tenants that are the piece that they struggle most with, if you will, sort of what I was just saying, right? I should be over this right by now. I should get over this or all of those things. I just encourage you to sort of ask yourself where those ideas came from. Do you feel like they're serving you and your own process, right? I feel like two things sort of are happening. We're all really unprepared. We get thrown into this situation, this 
universal human situation. And we don't know what to do because nobody's talking about it. So we're already sort of at a deficit for lack of a better term. I don't like that term, but um, we're unprepared. Not that you can prepare for it, but we're unprepared in the way that um, everything we've been told is generally not true. Or there are very strong chances that it won't look that way for you, right? And so I really want people to have the, the flexibility to be able to say, where did I learn this? Who benefits from me hearing this? Does this feel right in my gut? Does this serve me? And if it does, then, you know, do your thing. But if it doesn't, then I just really, you have the right to grieve your own way, to honor your own process, to do it differently. And that doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. That doesn't mean you're dishonoring anybody. That doesn't mean that you're betraying anybody. It just really is a matter of making sure that you're not grieving the way that you were prescribed to grieve. I like that. Prescribed. Yeah, because I think society puts on this prescription, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Collectively, we all have these beliefs. And there's some universal beliefs. You know, time heals all wounds. We all know that's that line, you know. <laughs> so like you said, it's, yeah, challenge what your own beliefs about what you feel about grief and what you've been taught about grief, for sure. And just make sure that they're yours, right? Mm -hmm. Just make sure they're yours. Um, or not even yours, but the ones that have been passed on to you feel like that they're serving you, right? And there's an answer, to, or there's, there's something my therapist asks me all the time to sort of, because I, I often feel like, well, how do I, I don't really know. <laughs> you know, there's so much of like, um, you know, I think a lot of what we talked about, there's this sort of disconnect in and of itself, but it also can be overwhelming. Like you don't know until you go through it, right? But more about really just recognizing um, that what works for you what works for other people. It just doesn't. But you're also not necessarily going to know that right off the bat too, right? And so there's some trial and error there in terms of figuring out what your journey is and how you can infuse pieces that did speak to you. And my therapist, she will often say, you know, uh, when we're trying to figure out if something feels good or expansive or healthy or productive or fulfilling, insert whatever word you want to use for you. It's more of like, does that feel expansive in your heart? You know, and that doesn't necessarily mean that sadness is going to fill you up with joy. But again, it's sort of tapping into those, those sensations in your body, right? The things that are right for you, you're going to feel expansive. You're going to feel open. You're going to feel like, oh, I kind of feel like I can breathe right there. I don't feel relieved per se, but I feel a shift, right? Whereas the things that are not right for you, you're instantly going to clench up. You're going to shut down. You're going to feel rigid. You're going to feel resistant, right? And so those can sort of be those intuitive nudges in terms of, I don't really know what I feel or what feels good or what's helpful or not. Those are kind of the, the sensations that you can follow to get more clarity there. There's two points. I just think two things that came to my mind. Well, one, I think two, it's having an open mind, like just being open to whatever may come your way mm -hmm. that... If it piques your interest, there's a reason. Yeah. You know, if, if, and follow that curiosity of what may be helpful, you know, because it could be the thing that unlocks everything that changes your life. Mm -hmm. That's what happened for me. But the other thing too is I, coming from an energy standpoint, as a, a Reiki master, mm -hmm. and I mm -hmm. was not, yeah. not even remotely, like I'd never even experienced Reiki before I became certified in it oh really um, yeah I just I I was led to it I had mm -hmm. I was curious that about happened. it yeah. and it wasn't until I like did the inner work but 
there's one thing that people could do. Stand up straight and tall, and you put your hands on your chest, and you can sit, you can do the sitting too, I suppose, but you close your eyes, and you ask yourself the question, whatever it is that you're trying to mm -hmm. discern, you know, like, should I go to this workshop? Is mm -hmm. this workshop good for me? Or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And if you feel yourself kind of leaning forward, that's like a good, that's like a good thing. But if you find yourself going back, like leaning back, like your body just is being pulled backwards, that's like a contracting. That's, that's like just a, fascinating. That's yes, like a pendulum kind of, right? It is. Like because our, our bodies always speak to us, always. And I, that's the thing too. Like that's, I've really tapped into the, body energy aspect of my own healing and have learned so much about that mind body connection because we are energy we are made up of energy our feelings emotions our thoughts have energy behind them and our body knows mm -hmm. our body knows so just do that you know try that and our body is energy too right Every, on a cellular level. Container. Oh, wow. That's crazy. The cellular level. Like yeah. our, every, we are made up of cells mm -hmm. and cells are energy. I'm learning so much. I'm glad I to share you, that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I love seeing your face light up with the Reiki. I've, I've had it done. <laughs> um, and I actually had an invitation to go be certified in it recently. And I decided not to only because I still am feeling like I, for me, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. um, in terms of like, I've noticed I'm always, and this isn't a bad thing by any means, but I always go like serve others in ways of like serving myself. And I was like, but that's actually an area where I just want to be served. Does that make sense? Oh, Reiki serves. And, it does. Uh, does it? Oh my gosh. It is a gift that will keep on giving to yourself. Trust that's cool to hear because I feel, um, even necessarily anything I talked about per se but you know the attachment trauma I have attachment trauma obviously from losing my mom at such a pivotal time and not having really safe and consistent caretaking after that and um and so I get really nervous that like I, I don't have when I have how do I say this <laughs> I'm scared that I won't be able to um hold my boundaries and that was a big mm. piece of when I was doing counseling work I felt like I like had the whole world was on my shoulders. Um, and so that was, that was sort of where I was able to say, well, I'm in a much more of an advocate as opposed to like therapist. And, you know, um, that boundary really serves me in terms of what's my responsibility and kind of all that. But there's certainly a fear with the Reiki that I'm nervous that like I'll just win it or something almost. Am I making any sense? You know what though? <laughs> yeah. And you know what, if you just do Reiki level one and two, you can give Reiki to yourself. Just think of it, it's for yourself. And that's why I did it. That is why I did it. It was for myself. I didn't know you could do that to yourself. But I went on to the next level. What's that? I didn't know that you could do Reiki on yourself. I guess I, how does that work? Oh, <laughs> gosh. We will have to have another conversation. We will. <laughs> right? I'm just referring yeah. to, like, to the, the few experiences I've had. So. No, it's not just for really, I went to get certified for me and, but it's really just, it's really 
I've gotten so much back from it and helping other people too with, you know, giving, yeah. giving Reiki and things like that. But I just, it's opened up, like I went for Reiki master and like in a few weeks I'm doing my Karuna. It's like the next level up and that's the next level after that is licensed. And there's only like 30 licensed Asui Reiki masters oh in the world. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That's really yeah, exciting. But it is exciting. So I'm, I'm excited for that, but yeah, it's, um, we'll just have to have another conversation about that. But we I, will. Will. I, I do, if the universe keeps hitting you on the head and showing up for you with Reiki, Reiki, Reiki. And that's what was happening for me. Like I kept hearing about it, kept seeing it. And I had never experienced it, like I said. And I just thought, what is this Reiki business? You know? And so yeah, I followed that. Yeah, it's pretty magical. I mean, the experience that I have had was very magical. But like I said, I felt very like, you know, you were the guide. I was just the receptacle or something. And um, well, I'm glad we got onto this a little bit. Yeah. Well, like energy, grief, it's all connected. It's all connected. So where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So my shop is thejoyfuljewelrybox.com. And you can connect with me there. Normally I start with my social media, but since that got a little weird lately, <laughs> you can always find me in my shop on Instagram. I am at the joyful jewelry box. And, or if you just want to email me, if there's any questions you had or this conversation spoke to you, you can always email me at the joyful jewelry box at gmail.com. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, this was such a, a different conversation in a good way. I'm glad it went where it went. I think message that you needed to get across i i felt it i hope my audience does as well thank you victoria i appreciate you reaching out and just um to anybody in your audience you're welcome to come to my community and um not as a replacement by any means that's not what i meant but i just love meeting anybody who finds me through other grace communities it's just really cool to see how we can all other and really you know create the connections from our stories you know like I said from being able to really just start from a place knowing who people are um, or at least some of the most important parts of who we are and so I really love when people come over and share their story with me or share why my story spoke to them or whatnot so love to meet anybody new well and I think too it's part of the mission of mine and reason for starting this podcast was to talk about grief like we talk about the weather Exactly. And so whether it's my account, your account, another grieving account, grief account, it doesn't matter. It's we're talking about it. And totally. that's that's the goal is to normalize it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you for what you're doing to normalize it. And um, I was poking around on your website today and it's just it's cool to see everything that you're doing. Right. I love that you're providing one-on-one -on -one support. I love that you're providing online support. I just, um, it was neat to see all the different offerings that you have. And I think that people, they get scared, of course, mm -hmm. freaking scary, overwhelming, but I think that they get scared that, that you know, there are, are only so many options and it's just not going to work for them. And ultimately the point is, is just, like you said, keep your mind open. <laughs> this is such a unique um, and nuanced process. Like, nothing can ever really be captured in one of these conversations or in one Instagram post, et cetera. And so I just encourage you to seek out those safe communities to be able to have these conversations. I think you and I both sort of articulated that when things are ready, it reveals itself to us when, <laughs> whether we are ready or not, you know. And the universe will hit you on the head, tell you 
till you exactly. open the door. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thank you for all that you're doing and giving back to this community. I really appreciate it. Likewise. Come back next week for another interview. And thank you, Lindsay, for being on. And have a great rest of your day, everyone. Much love. My heart to yours. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share it because sharing is caring. And until next time, give and share compassion by being a heart with ears. And if you're hurting, know that what you're feeling is normal and natural. Much love, my friend.